we have a new person on the soundboard this morning, and she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. Trust me, that's not an easy thing to do. You ought to try it sometime. It's great. Listen, God is good, is he not? We are so grateful to have a God who is good, who loves us so much, who enjoys our worship, no matter how we do it, as long as our voices sing out to him with our praises, he loves it. Listen, in our churches today, sometimes it feels like we have forgotten or set aside what the wonder and praise of God and the power of God really is. And one of the reasons I'm taking us through Acts is to remind us about the awesome wonder of our God and the power that comes from his Holy Spirit. We come to church um, for the experience, for the show, for that, that feeling that we get when we worship God, but not necessarily to really encounter him for who he really is. And it becomes about us and not so much about him. Pastor and preacher Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. He said, in the Church of the Apostles, it says that they were all amazed. And now in our churches, everyone wants to be amused. The church began in an upper room with a bunch of men agonizing, agonizing in prayer. It is ending in the supper room with a bunch of people organizing. We are not amazed because we are not expecting to be amazed. We are spending time organizing events and not enough time agonizing in prayer over the lost and the hurting. We are not agonizing and begging God to bring revival. And since I've been your pastor, the Lord has really been working on my heart a lot. Every month we have a, a ministerial meeting where we get together for lunch with some of the pastors in the area, and I told them that God has been really moving in my heart with a burden for the lost and the hurting in La Junta in a way that he had never done before. Ever since I saw that there were 400 people in First Baptist at one time on the member rolls, I've been asking God, where, where have the people gone? Why are we so apathetic to you? And why are our churches empty? My hope is that you'll join in me in agonizing in prayer over the lost people in the Hunter. You see, when we gather together as a group, as a community, in our Bible studies, in our discipleship groups, in our homes together, and on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock when we pray, I want us to cry out to the Lord for his spirit to bring revival to our town. With our hearts broken for the brokenhearted. And here's how we do that. Here's how we do that. Now I read this somewhere, and I cannot remember of all the things that I read this week where I read this, but it was a great idea, so I wanted to make sure I brought this to us because this, this really touched me. When we get ready to pray for revival, draw a circle it could be a figurative circle, a mental circle, where you're going to pray. And then stand in that circle. And then as you get ready to pray, ask God to bring revival first to the person in the circle. Because this is how revival begins. 
Revival begins first with each of us individually. So are you personally ready for God to use you in ways you have, you have never seen him use you before? I mean, I have to be ready too. We're asked the same question. Am I ready? Are we ready as a church for God to use us in ways that we have never seen before? I've had several conversations with people in our church family, the CFC, and they were asking me how it was going. And I told them it was going pretty good. I told them about the burden that the Lord has put on my heart and about how I've been reading some of the history and seeing a large church membership roll back in the 60s. And I, I told them that it's really been bugging me. And I said, the, the only thing that I know how to do is to go on the offensive. And this is what I mean by going on the offensive. The first thing is, is we're going through the book of Acts. This is one of the reasons why I chose for us to go through the book of Acts, to go back to our roots. We've been through John, so we went through one of the Gospels, so we know what Jesus said. If you were here for that series, if not, you can find most of the messages, if not all of them, on our website. Um, we wanted to remind ourselves of how the church started, the power of the Spirit, where we were at. And the second thing is, in community group, we're learning about our spiritual gifts and learning why we have them and what they're for. We're also going to learn how to share Jesus with people as we encounter him, or encounter people and tell our testimony. The story that God has given to each one of us that talks about how he changed our lives. What did he do? We have a story to tell, no matter how spectacular it is or how boring you might think it is. Someone's life being transformed by the power of Christ is not boring. I can assure you of that. And we're not going to sit back and wait for the people to come to us. That's the third thing. But we're going to go out to the people, praying and sharing our faith. Like King David did before he went into battle, he prayed to the Lord and asked when he went into battle for the Lord's favor. He said, Lord, if we go into battle, will you give our enemies into our hands? Will you give us victory? And I'm asking the Lord for us the same way, that God would give us victory. Would you grant us your favor as we take on our enemies? When we go out into the world to bring people into the kingdom in Los Animas and La Junta, and I ask and I beg you, will you join me? Now we know that Jesus has given us the victory. We are the victors after all. But now it is time to reap our treasure, which is the lost in La Junta. To take God's people out of the jaws of the enemy and point them to him. Will you join me? Will you? For the glory of God and our King. Well, you might be asking, well, when are you going to get to the passage today? <laughs> well, right now, actually, we're going to get to the passage. And our passage today is Acts chapter 3. The whole chapter, all 26 verses. It is the story of the lame beggar's healing and Peter's message to the people of Jerusalem regarding Jesus. This is a story of, of many in Acts that invites us to see the wonder of our Lord. 
Theologian John Paul Hill says this, he says, of the many miracles recounted in Acts, none has a more formal resemblance to the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels than to this one. There is one major difference, though. Jesus healed by his own authority, and Peter healed by the name of Jesus. In Acts, he goes on to say, the miracles were always in the service of the word, confirming God's presence in the spread of the gospel or as a sign that enabled faith. We'll see that as we go through our message this morning. It's a long message, so we're just going to go through it piece by piece instead of reading it all at once, which would take a lot of our time. Well, let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the power of it. We thank you for the story, Lord, this account of what you have done, Lord, to Peter and John and to the lame beggar. I pray, God, that we see who it was who truly, truly healed healed Peter, or healed the lame beggar, Lord, and that we would understand that it's always about you and never about us. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what it is that you have to say this morning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start out. Let's start out by setting the scene, which is the first two verses in our passage. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open it up to Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at the first two verses right now. And they say, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Now I have a picture that Sherry's going to put up uh, of the the beautiful gate. There you go. And there it is. So that's the beautiful gate where that wonderful arrow is pointing to. And it it is a beautiful gate. It is... It is made of Corinthian bronze, which is much more expensive, actually, at that time than the gold and silver plated doors and the other gates. In that opening that is around there where all those columns are on both sides, that is what's known as Solomon's portico. And that is where this story takes place. I wanted you to get a visual to see what was going. And so the lame beggar is right there by the beautiful gates. The rabbis at that time, they taught that there were three distinct parts to the Jewish faith. And that is reading and studying the Torah, which is the word of God, community worship, and the showing of kindness or giving aid. On their way into worship, the people would stop and give alms to the poor who were outside. The lame man, whose name, by the way, is never given to us. We, have, we never know who this lame man's name is. He was at least in his 40s, and we know that because in our next passage next week, in Acts 4, verse 22, it says so. So we know that this man has been lame for over 40 years. He has never walked. And at 3 p.m., Peter and John were heading to prayer. And they saw this man being carried to this beautiful gate, ready to beg. And it was obvious that he couldn't walk. Luke tells us that he has never been able to walk. We know that. He has never felt the weight of his body on his feet. Imagine that. 
That's hard to believe. He was always dependent on someone else to carry him and to take care of him wherever he went. So now as we turn to verses 3 through 10, we get a sense, this is where we get into the meat of the passage. We start getting into it. Starting in verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see the, Peter, uh, you see the beggar saw Peter and John, and he was asking them to receive alms his handout. He must have not been looking directly at Peter and John. He might have been looking down in shame. He might have been looking into his hands and wondering what might fall into them. But Peter and John, they had other ideas. Much grander ideas than this man could ever have experienced in his life before or ever thought of. And Peter said, Look at me. Look at us. And if I go to Meredith, and I just freak her completely out by doing this, and I say, look at me. Don't look at your hands. Don't look at your feet. Look at me. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold to give to you. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. Stand up and walk. Imagine, imagine what that, what that man felt in his life. This man who had never walked, ever. And he must be thinking to himself, I can't walk. I've never walked. There's no way I'm going to walk. Imagine what faith it took for him to take Peter's hand and rise and walk. It was not an option for the man to look at Peter. Peter made it uncomfortable. He wasn't blind. It had to be really hard. So when the beggar was healed, he walked for the very first time. He had freedom from his burdens. He was free to walk and to dance. He no longer had to wait for someone to carry him physically, but now he needed someone to carry him spiritually. He was praising God, but he was probably not quite sure who Jesus was yet. He probably wasn't saved, as we would say saved, yet. But his joy, the joy that he had from standing up and being able to walk, 
reminds us of the passage in Isaiah 34, 4-6 through when he said, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here is this man in the temple to worship the Lord, maybe for the very first time. He may have never been inside that gate to worship God with the rest of the Jews. But now he is. And as we look at verses 11 through 16, we see Peter as he begins to address the crowd with this newly healed man clinging to him in John. Let's read these verses together. Starting in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the, the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What did Peter do? What did Peter do? Did Peter say, look at me? Look at John? Look at us? We are healers. Come. Come one. Come all. And be healed. Look at how wonderful and special we are that God has given us this great gift. Come. And only for $10 each, I will heal you. No, Peter did not say that. This is what Peter said. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter didn't say, look at us. Look at me. Look at John. He said, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. We don't have any power on our own. It is the power of God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the one. We have no power. It is not our works that make us special. Peter used the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob to the nation of Israel, to these Jews in Solomon's portico. Because this is a term that they would be very familiar with. 
So they would know that it is their God, the God of Israel, who holds the power and healed this man. The God who glorified his son Jesus on the cross. And then he reminds these Jews again that they were the same ones, the same ones who were there and denied Jesus and called for Barabbas, the murderer, to be freed while they cried out to have Jesus crucified. And then he really digs at their heart. And to be honest, it really should dig at our heart too. He said that they killed the author of life. I mean, that is, that is striking. That is striking. When you read that, it's like, whoa. The one who created you, the one who called you, the one who went to the cross to save you from certain death, the one that death could not hold and the grave could not keep him, the one whose father raised him from the dead, and he digs so deep that they cannot deny it. Remember, this is just a few months ago that Jesus was crucified. They cannot deny that they don't remember or they weren't there. And then in verse 16, Peter tells them that who healed this lame beggar who is now leaping and praising God before their very eyes. The man who hasn't walked since birth. And he says, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. This lame beggar, even though we don't know his name, he was a very familiar sight to all the Jews as they went to worship in the temple. They saw him every day. This man, who they knew had never walked, and now is leaping for joy, is standing there with Peter and John. This man, right here, now, Jesus healed him. I didn't. He did. The one you killed. Imagine being there in that moment, and being one of those in the crowd who yelled, crucify him. Would that not strike you in the heart? Would that not just be like a kick in the guts? Here he is, this man, undeniably healed. In the name of the one I killed. Thank goodness God raised him from the dead. And he is alive today. And we await his glorious return. Whose faith allowed this man to be healed? Peter and John, was it their faith? They took this man by the hand and told him to rise and walk. But again, imagine this man who has never walked, who said, man, I don't think I can do this. I have never walked in my life. Why do you think I can walk now? And yet he took Peter's hand and he obeyed and he stood and he walked. And he felt the weight of his body on his feet for the first time. And he not only walked, but he danced. And he not only danced, but he leaped. And for the sake of everyone around here, I'm not going to leap. But imagine that. Imagine that. What happened? How beautiful is that? And now this man, whose name we don't know, but his story is forever told in the book of Acts in chapter 3. 
His suffering was not in vain. His suffering was for the glory of God. And we go through suffering ourselves. And our suffering that we go through has a purpose. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't. But it does. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It doesn't matter what our suffering is. The loss of a loved one, a broken heart, a broken body, cancer, addiction, or mental illness. Everything that we go through in life, God is well aware of. And his heart is grieved for us. We know that Jesus himself knew suffering. Let me ask you, was it fair for him to have to go to the cross for sins he didn't commit? The one who did nothing wrong? To be separated even for a moment from his Father, for us, the guilty. To take his Father's wrath, our punishment, our disobedience on himself. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. I do not want to make light of suffering. It is often horrible, and it often feels unfair. But there is a hope in Jesus that our suffering is only temporary, even if it lasts our entire life here on earth. If we place our trust and our hope in Christ, we will find healing for our suffering, no matter what it is. Sherry and I went to a church many years ago, and the pastor and his wife suffered so many heartaches, so much suffering from many different things. One of their sons got cancer. Another of their sons committed suicide. A grandson died as a baby. Our pastor had a stroke, and then he got cancer and he died. His wife contracted the flesh-eating disease and had to have one foot and part of another amputated, and then later, part of her leg. At her funeral a few years ago, she asked that her wheelchair and her prosthetic be set on the stage for all to see. She wanted to remind everyone that she no longer needed them. They were a sign of this fallen world, but they were not a sign of the glory that she has in heaven now. You see, that was for the glory of God, even at her funeral. Suffering is for God's glory. It teaches us about him and who he is. When we go through it, it is no fun. I am not going to lie. It is no fun. We get that. But in the end... We will be healed if we put our faith and trust in him. This lame beggar suffered for 40 years, unable to walk, 
unable to take care of himself, left to be a beggar, and rely on others' pity for his sustenance. And now he was healed by the power of the one who himself knows suffering, and in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, he rose and walked. This is what Peter was telling the crowd. And we know that we all have played a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. All of us are sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike. The Jews sentenced him to death in the mockery of a trial. They yelled for him to be crucified before Pilate, as Peter reminds them. But we also know that the Gentile Romans were the ones who hung him on the cross and drove the nails in his hands. And it was his loving father who raised him from the dead. All of us are guilty. Well, what do we do with this then? Where's the good news, Scott? You said this was going to be an encouraging sermon. It's coming. In these verses, verses 17 through 26, let's read them together. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This is what we do here in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, which he did in Jesus. And you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And that is us, right there. We are part of the joy of the covenant with Abraham. We are part of all the nations. And then Peter says, God, having raised up a servant, sent him to you first, to the Jews first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You see, Peter he lets the Jews off just a little bit for their guilt, saying that they acted out in ignorance. Because we have to remember, it, this had to happen. The prophets said it would. The Jews were going to be a part of this, as were the Gentiles. God was going to say that everyone was guilty. And so, yes, they were ignorant, but it had to be. It had to be. Jesus had to suffer. He had to die. 
That was the only way for our sins to be taken care of, for God's wrath to be taken care of so that we wouldn't have to take it. But God raised his son from the dead. That's also the part of the story. And it's not a story. It is real. It is truth. But even still, God gives them an opportunity to repent. There's that word, repent. Sometimes we don't like that word. That is such a beautiful word. You should never look at that word and go, I hate that word. God didn't have to give us the opportunity to turn from our wicked ways and turn towards Christ into the loving, resurrected arms of our Savior Jesus, whose hands still have the nail prints in them. And if we turn, he will accept us. He said so. And your sins will be forgiven. Jesus suffered. As we know, Isaiah 52, 14 says this, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Imagine this man, this God-man, who was beaten beyond recognition, that we couldn't recognize him even as human, as he stood there and took the beating, and then had to carry his cross to Golgotha and hang there in the noonday sun and die for us. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it was by his wounds that we are healed. So what do we do? We repent. We turn to Jesus. We go to him. We go to his wonderful and his powerful arms. And listen, this is not just for unbelievers. If you are here today and you don't know Christ, yes, you need to turn. You need to turn and repent to Christ. But this is also a message for us as believers. We still sin. We still need to repent of those sins. We need to turn from our sin into the loving arms of our Savior too. This is a message of great hope for all of us. This is the good news. This is the encouragement we all need. This is the story that people in Lahunta need to hear. There is a better way than a needle in your arm, than a pipe in your mouth, than a bottle in your hand. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can come to the Father, but there is no other way but through Him. And then you will find refreshing. And this refreshing is like a cool breeze on your face. The stench of death and sin is gone, and you can breathe the fresh air of the Holy Spirit in your lungs. Who does not want that hope in their lives? This is why we're going on the offensive. 
to take this message of hope out into La Junta and Los Animas and into the valley and share this good news with other people who need to hear it. Our enemy does not want anyone to hear this message. He wants them to be down in the depths of their dirt. He wants them there. There is no hope there. There is only hope in Christ. And God has called us first, first in that circle, to be revived ourselves, to be refreshed by the Spirit, and then to step out of the circle and go tell others about who He is. Are you with me on this? Are you with Peter and John on this? Are you with this healed beggar with this? If he were here today, what would he tell us? Who now knows who Jesus is. It is time for us to take a step forward as a church and to take our faith seriously. And to watch this church grow, not because I want to have a big church, but because I want people here hungering for Christ in their life. I want you and me to grow in our faith. I want us to see God do things in us that we have never even thought to ask. Are you ready for that? This is why we're in the book of Acts. Because God can do that if we have the faith and we ask Him. Lord, will you deliver our enemies into our hands as we go into battle? Lord, take me up by your right hand and heal me of my sins, of my doubt, and show me that I can be healed in the holy name of Jesus to be your messenger out into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before you, Lord, with humble hearts. We come before you, Lord, with hungry hearts. Lord, we want so much in our lives to be healed. We want so much in our lives to know you and to know you more. And Lord, we want to be used by you in ways that we cannot even imagine. But not for our glory, Lord, as Peter shows us in this passage, but for your glory. Because it is nothing about us. We stand naked and ashamed before you, Lord. And you are the one who clothes us and gives us hope. And you heal us, Lord, in the name and the blood of your Son. There is no other hope but in him. I pray for each person that is here this morning, Lord, that your spirit would fall on them and they would feel your presence, Lord. That you would move in their lives in such a way that they wouldn't even know who they are. But they would do it for your glory. Lord, we pray for La Junta. We pray, God, that you would allow us to go out there and bring this news to them. And that you would fill this church in churches in our town that preach the true gospel. Fill them, Lord, with people hungering to know you. Lord, we ask for revival, but it begins in our own hearts. 
So we ask that you revive us, refresh us with your spirit. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.